0: It's really nice to have the kids here doing such a great job singing the song that preached the sermon long before I got here. So we got most of it. That's great. But let us turn now to God's word. First in Jeremiah 29:1, 4 through 7, the letter Jeremiah's letter uh, to the exiles from Israel into Babylon. Hear the word of the Lord. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Zechaniah and the queen mother, the court officials, leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans, the smiths, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Alissah, son of Shaphan, and Grameria, son of Helachiah, whom the king Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. That's a long list. They took everybody of any significance. And to these folks, Jeremiah writes, the letter said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat what you produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And then we turn to Paul's words in the New Testament, the, book, the letter of the Colossians, third chapter, the 12th through the 17th verses. which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, one of my golf buddies at breakfast asked, What do you guys think about? Now, it didn't matter what issue he was picking. It was one of the hot issues going on, a political hot potato that we had all discussed before, and had all figured out whose side everybody was on. But another guy just looked at him and shook his head and said, I don't know the answer. I just know I'm tired of the whole darn thing. Immigration, border laws, Trump, Biden, Me Too, BLM, it didn't matter. He was just tired. Anybody else ever felt this way? I heard his fatigue, but I also, his frustration, his hopelessness, his vulnerability. These issues were beyond our control, pretty much beyond our influence. Oh sure, as good citizens, we have to stay informed and to vote the best we can, but even then, it's hard to see how each of us can make a difference. So as a pastor, I have seen that level of being tired and frustrated over one church conflict or another over years and years and years. People want the church to be, no, they think the church should be a comfort zone, a place without conflict. But I argue that if there is any place for people to discuss differences, it is as a part of the Church of Jesus Christ. Conflict is one of the few constants in our lives. There's no way to avoid it. We're all different. We have different beliefs, passions, and persuasions. Put us together in a group and there will be conflict. And more important the issue, the deeper held the conflict. I've actually heard some of the conflict this church has been going through the last few months. Uh, I I have no idea what the solution is. I have no idea uh, what all the sides are. But as a veteran pastor, I would like to at least offer a way forward. You see, it is an illusion to think that there will be no conflict in the church. Especially as we come out of this COVID shutdown, people are already tired. Nerves are frayed. And that's even before we get to the issue. As the restrictions start lifting, the church needs to make a lot of choices and decisions. Choices about issues we've never even had to think about before. Physical safety, emotional challenges, financial stress, and all the disagreements that go with making those kind of decisions. But in many ways, we as Christians have been given a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to show who we really are as God's people. Can we stand up to our fear, risk our own well-being, and give ourselves away for others? You see, the goal is not to stay safe and avoid conflict. It must always be, are we being faithful disciples as we move forward? Can we grow in faith? And can we help others grow in theirs? God will reward our faithful efforts, even if that comes at the cost of leaving our comfort zone and dealing with competing points of view. Conflict well done leads to progress, growth, and spiritual maturity. Oh, it's hard, it's challenging, and if biblically anyone knows about hard, frustrating times, it's Jeremiah. The mighty Babylons had come into Judah and cut down the opposition like dry grass under the mower. The Babylons had seized Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, marched all the leaders and key people in the society across 500 miles of desert into exile in Babylon. They probably settled them in a region of the country near the river Shabbat, which had been devastated by previous wars between Babylon and Assyria. And their job was to redevelop and rebuild that land. They were separated from their homeland. Nobody spoke their language, nobody ate the same food that they did. They were refugees. And they knew that their primary symbol of faith, their temple, had been destroyed. All around them were the Babylonian idols. They were definitely strangers in a strange land. Now, some of the false prophets that went with them into exile, they spoke an easy, popular, Don't unpack the Samsonite. The Lord's going to come. The exile will soon be over. But Jeremiah, lonely, back in Jerusalem, heard a different word. And he sent his people with this message, God's word to them, you have a future. And it continues to be under our Lord's providential love and care. But your future is now in Babylon for some time. So build houses, plant gardens, take wives, have sons and daughters, multiply there. Seek the welfare of the city. Where I have placed you, and pray for the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Basically, Jeremiah was saying don't yearn for what you had, but pray for and do the ministry that is in front of you. Seek the welfare of the people around you, work for the spiritual growth of those in front of you especially those who oppress you and with whom you disagree. And it seems like Jesus said pretty much the same things in turning the other cheek, loving your enemies. Why? Why would he do that? Why can't we fight back? Why can't we get even? Why can't we show them who's boss? Well, in Israel's case, they weren't boss. They'd been conquered. But even so, Jesus said, that is not my way your oppressors aren't in charge of you god is this is a new reality you face the question is will you remain faithful even now god in christ calls us to love love, and forgive one another even though or perhaps because of our life experience being exactly the opposite Jesus said, this is not my way. In Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-six to 27, Jesus says to his disciples, it will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as a son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the great mystery of forgiveness. We don't know how it works. It doesn't make sense. A problem is something we can solve, but a mystery is something that we can only ponder, strive for, and perhaps celebrate once in a while when it happens. But when we can gain an attitude and a lifestyle of forgiveness, it shows that we have truly matured as Christians. The issues facing our world are serious, crucial, incredibly complex. And they are strongly held, even polarizing views on all sides. Many have to do with the essence of what we believe and who we are as a people. They will surely cause division, conflict, and anger. And our task as Christians is to stand a little bit above that and embrace those deep feelings as part of our ministry. We have a ministry of forgiveness. It is our calling to enter into the conflict and to help people come to at least peaceful separation. In our text this morning, Paul devotes an awful lot of time to loving those with whom we disagree, even those we despise. The essence of his argument is that we are to serve one another as Christ has served us. We are to seek the spiritual growth and discipleship of all the people around us even those with whom we disagree first and foremost as Christians we are given the gift of being able to forgive now I have to be honest here we don't usually want to forgive forgiveness does not come naturally to us one of the hardest spiritual growth steps to, we have to face is learning to forgive it takes humility not our strongest suit, spiritual discipline, and most of all, the ability to forgive oneself first. How to forgive is not a set of steps that we can follow one, two, three, and get to forgiveness. Rather, it is a spiritual discipline and takes practice. And like all spiritual practices, it stays a mystery. So, as Christians, we are giving this ministry of forgiveness. At baptism, we say that we died of sin and are risen to new life in Christ, and that new life is what frees us to forgive others. We are made a new creation so that we can create the new creation of God's world among us as people. Baptism is much more than a joyous family celebration. It's a moment of transformation that guides each and every step of our lives if we take it seriously. And at communion, we pour the cup and say, drink, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do we believe this? If so, then we have been cleansed from sin. I just heard a great song about that. And it sets us free, then, to forgive others. We don't deserve it. We can't understand it. But we seek it as we strive to give it to others. And like any other skill, it just takes time and energy and practice. It's important to say that forgiveness is not giving in. Forgiveness is having the courage to set aside our anger, our hurt, our fear, to confront another person with their bad, hurtful acts, with truth-telling, and offer reconciliation. The process of forgiveness is a chance to make amends and a way forward in a relationship. It is up to the other person, of course, to accept or reject our forgiveness, but we are set free by our forgiveness and able to move forward unburdened by guilt by anger or fear. We are given the gift to be able to do what God did for us. And if that's not a mystery, I don't know what is. Let me also clarify something else about forgiveness. It is not a compromise of morality. Don't think that God's confused moral clarity with moral responsibility, with grace and forgiveness. God's justice ensures that the murderer will not get away with murder. The sex offender will not get away with molestation. Forgiveness is not a violation of justice, but rather the completion of justice. So I have an easy question. How does the church do this? Again, there's no easy answer or quick solution but I've heard of several churches that have of those kind of things, the Me Too and Black Lives Matter. Me Too, the powerful and wealthy men, were being accused every single day about abuses of power over women. And churches realized that perhaps the men in their church had been also abusive. Women started to come forward with their stories of hurt and shame, their emotional wounds and scars. So they needed a way to address this. And they followed these general rules. First, they created a safe place for learning together. They set ground rules, and those ground rules in a Bible study or discussion group said no one can dominate the discussion. No one can bully another. All opinions and point of view could be shared. And they built rapport and trust as they shared their personal stories and named their hurt. The ground rules also insisted that they learn to be okay with discomfort. A safe place means agreeing to share without accusing, to avoid giving advice and solutions, to just listen without defensiveness. And as a husband, I know this is impossible. Kathy's always saying, when I want a husband, I get a pastor. When I want a pastor, I get a husband. We have to learn to not be defensive, to just listen, not try to solve their problems, but to listen to their inner hurt. We also can't uh, rush to judgment, but rather wait and help that person come to what they need for a solution. And anger is part of that discussion. When someone is hurt or humiliated or violated, they're angry. Of course they are. And so should the community be around them. Yet we don't stop there. And we affirm that biblically, righteous anger is a natural response to oppression, to abuse, to injustice, to violence. And something needs to change. Ideally, there's a wonderful time of confession and forgiveness. But that doesn't always happen. But at least we attempt reconciliation, to restore people into community. And if that fails, then separation may be necessary. And it's always important in those times to look for the good. Where was God in this pain? Who were the helpers? How did you grow through this experience? And finally, it's important to consider who's not in the room. I was at a national men's convention 30 years ago. A group of older men were discussing the need in the church for youth ministry, and they were all assuring one another that the kids were fine, the church was fine, there was no need to add anything. And we had one lone teenager at the room, and after enough, he got fed up and he stood up and told us they were wrong. Kids were hurting. Kids needed a place to connect. They needed to feel a part of the church, and right now they weren't. See, the older men... I can't imagine why men would do that. But they failed to realize they weren't listening to the ones with the problem. I've sat around many groups of pastors, older white men pastors, talking about the issues of race. And they have not talked to a person of color. If the church is to be faithful and spiritually alive, we need to engage with and seriously listen to the people around us closest to the issues. Our ministry in Christ's name demands that we listen to and love all of God's children, not just those like us or who agree with us or even share the same faith. So what do we make of all this? This mystery of love in God and Christ knows no bounds. God forgives us in our worst moments. Christ will enter the messiest corners of our lives. And and as his disciples, we can but stand in wonder at this mystery of God's love for us. And then decide to love one another. Not just the people in our clan, or our church, or our, our neighborhood. But everyone we meet. We can ask ourselves, for whom do I have compassion and how do I show it? Who has been offended and hurt and betrayed? And how can we forgive them? How can we embrace the mystery of God's love for us and then choose to live? The Apostle Paul told us this morning, Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father, through him. May it be so with you. Let us pray. God, we are so aware of the hurt around us. Even more, we're aware of the hurt within us. And in that moment, we discover that that is where you call us to be and where you, we find you. So come, lift us up into your word and to your love. Show us the way forward that we might continue to be your faithful disciples this day and all days together. Amen.